All right. Is everybody fucking recording <laughs> yes. this time? Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yes, Andy. Um, we basically recorded a bit of the, the shit intro, the shit talking intro at the beginning, and the uh, we we weren't recording, so it's all right. No. <laughs> Very professional a, podcast. A yeah, just chatting between boys. I don't know, bros being bros. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, JT had mentioned that it was 9-11 at the time over there. Is that so? Yeah, it was It was 9-11. Now it's 9-14, which is a less funny time, no, no. but uh, we'll, we'll take it. And I have been up <laughs> for hours. I was just telling the boys that uh, Little Miss Evie did not feel like sleeping last night. Instead, she felt like screaming. So um, <laughs> I've been up for a little while, and and now she's obviously like perfectly happy now that the sun's up a little bit. Perfectly happy, smiling, talking to herself, playing with the tassels on my uh, deprogram merch sweater. Uh, uh, link below. Mm, that's <laughs> what we think. Yeah. <laughs> but um, that's that's how I am this morning. How are you, boys? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, I was a bit tired in the morning, unsurprisingly. Mm. Uh, again, there's a merch item that specifically mentions how tired I am. So <laughs> go check it out. Easy. <laughs> but yeah, uh, no, I was, uh, I was a bit tired. I uh, woke up, did some work, chilled a bit, did some more work. Mm. Uh, and now I'm recording with you boys. Uh, nothing too too ridiculous, actually. Some fucking birds have been shitting all over <laughs> where basically my window is. And uh, I caught one of them strategically positioning themselves to aim their shit right at the... Like the windowsill, is that the, is the word uh-huh, in English? Yeah. And I, I was looking at it, and it kind of made eye contact with me, and it shit regardless. <laughs> and I'm just wondering, what have I done against this fucking thing? <laughs> like, I, we made it, like, it was awkward, because I was looking at it, and it was looking at me. Well, okay, all right, maybe I'm overanalyzing, <laughs> anthropomorphizing this poor bird. You're like a Disney princess, except they hate you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Oh, my God. I don't know. Birds are weird to me. Birds are very weird. The way they look at you, the way their like uh, head uh, and uh, neck gyrates whenever they move it to the left or the right, they they, they look like robots, like dinosaur mm. mini dinosaurs, uh, robots yeah. from AliExpress. You know, yeah. just mm. lower quality dinosaurs. I was gonna ask, have any, have either of you guys been uh, shit on uh, by birds? <laughs> um, no, not on me, but they always, yeah. always what? find a way. To shit on the handle, like the door handle of my car. So I have to. <laughs> so I guess a bird like has never shat on you. Are you fucking kidding no, me? You're like yeah. the unluckiest person on planet Earth. Yeah. It's like whenever a bird shits on you, that's like great luck and uh, prosperity mm. for the family or whatever the fuck. Yeah, whatever I you need to tell yourself. Exactly. Oh, yes, the slaps. <laughs> <laughs> they do not have the, the sayings of the peoples. Mm, but exactly nah, I, right, I, I right. once, like it was, I don't know, fucking 5 a.m. I'm walking outside of a club and there's like a Juniper place staring right at oh, me. Yes. And I go towards Juniper place and this is at like the at a seaside area. Uh, and I just mm. literally I hear ah ah ah, and it's just <laughs> a frack directly one millimeter away from the tuner that I just bought. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, so I had to clean it off. There was like I don't know fifty drunk people waiting for the tuner, fucking laughing mm. their asses off at me, etc. Mm. etc. I remove it from my hand. I, I give the tuner to like uh, mm. one of my one of my friends. I take the tuner back, and I swear I hear another. <laughs> and it flies right into the fucking yeah. food, bro. The guy <laughs> oh from the junior God. place like died laughing, and he was like, "Just throw it. I'll make you another one." He oh. let me cut in line. Mm. He got me another oh, one. It was extremely right. wholesome. There was like 15 cabs out front. There was 30 people outside of this thing. Like 40, 50 people just looking at me, dying laughing. <laughs> uh, oh, but you know, life has been pretty lucky after that. So I guess uh, it was worth sacrificing a junior to the. Yeah. Yeah. To the, the next the, day, the you start the deprogram podcast. I don't know exactly. what to tell you, boys. <laughs> the bird shit is fucking real. That's a strategic bird, though, because it knows you're going to throw it away, yeah. and that means he gets to eat it. Hey, there you, you go. Problem. They're learning. Yeah. yeah, that's why I'm glad they're dying of eating plastic. <laughs> I'm kidding. War against birds. Oh Unlimited genocide against mm. seagulls. <laughs> What's it called? The, the sparrow. The sparrow campaign. Yeah. The shit that the mouse did. Yeah. <laughs> unironically unironically based oh, wow. um i have never been shat on directly like on on my physical uh body but uh, what? <laughs> no my my, my ethereal like, I, spirit I no. people get shat on bird by birds like Hold all on. the time Hold i guess on. it's a geographical thing yeah. maybe birds in let your me, parts let, of the world both you. of you don't shit as much I, but that's fucking insane like i've seen everybody i know i've probably mm. seen get shit on a bird <laughs> by, by by a bird i'll tell <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll tell you. The one time I was walking to a bus and the bird, a bird flew by and shat 
not on my head, but I had a hoodie, and in the pit of the hoodie, oh. it sh- the, the, the shit, shit landed directly you being there. On. The, 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 your clothes okay. also count. Eh, okay, there well, we fair go. Enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. And I remember I I looked, I, uh, looked at it and I was a bit irritated. I was with a friend, and they were all, they were also like, "Oh yeah, no, but it means good luck." And I'm like, "Fine, all right, all right." Oh. <laughs> Did you put the hood up? No, I did not put the hood up. I don't feel like Smell having a fucking... Smell some bird um, pussy. Uh, oh, Jesus uh, Christ. What the hell? Oh, my God. <laughs> Dude, I go and pick up, like, uh, pick up my friend the other day, and I'm going up the fucking elevator. He's like, should I go down, or are you going to come pick me up? I'm like, I'm going to come pick you up. I get out of the fucking elevator, and it's a very nice, like, super new building, super fancy shit. But it smells like shit. Like huh. actual mm. poop. Like, like fresh... But like one hour fresh type of shit. Don't ask me how I know how does, this. How does it happen that every time we get on this fucking party, we just ended up talking really? about shit? <laughs> There's something wrong with us. Sorry, go on. And, go and, on. and I'm walking towards this door, and the closer I get to the door, the more it smells like shit. I ring, right? And I look down, and I swear. And this is a very close friend of mine that I thought was normal. And I see a brown bag from like a fashion brand filled to the brim with shit. Oh, my God. Uh. I, I start losing my mind. I already rang. He opens the door. I'm still in shock. He tells me, come inside. I come inside. I'm still like, why did this guy I thought was normal shit in a bag and put it outside <laughs> of his apartment in the hallway? Like, what the fuck is going on? I'm standing there. He seems unfazed by everything. Mm. He's like putting on his coat. He's like, oh, we're going, bro. I'm like, yeah, we're going. We exit. And, and I, I'm still shocked. And I see him just casually without even telling me anything pick up this bag of shit and Uh now like i'm still like what the fuck but we're walking Mm -hmm. towards the elevator and as we walk into the elevator and the door is about to close i put my uh, hand at the door and i look at him i'm like were you just about to enter a one by one square meters closed out fucking space Mm -hmm. with me holding a bag full of your own shit like are you fucking insane and the dude goes like oh man sorry i forgot i'm kind of used to the smell and i'm thinking even crazier shit like does this guy shit all over his apartment does he like <laughs> transport his shit all over the place does his toilet not work and he tells me oh man no i wasn't at home and this is like uh, at least a week full of uh, worth of uh, cat poop so it was mm-hmm. full to the brim with cat shit and the cat shit started eroding i didn't know that shit could actually like start going mm-hmm. bad like it's even bad worse than actual shit <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that was that was an incredible experience of me uh, completely disassociating and thinking, oh my God, do you really know people ever? You know, like a, like an existential crisis. I was like, I guess this person I know for ten years is a bag shitter for some fucking reason. Mm-hmm. And then in the end, obviously, a rational explanation was uh, was found. But uh, I don't think I will ever step in that hallway ever in my life again without you know, but through placebo effect. Uh, Mm. smelling uh, poop. And I didn't know that cat shit could smell that bad. But yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. I feel incredibly enriched by, the, by that <laughs> Yeah, uh, thanks story. for sharing. Uh, I don't know about you, JT. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> you <have> Nick. <laughs> right. No, you are right, though. It, cat poop is, is uh, a beast of its own. I don't know. Is, is dog poop any different, JT? Mm, I mean, it's, it's shit. I don't make poop a habit of, of classifying uh, it. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I mean, you're dealing with with human poop now, so... All right, we're not going to talk. We're not enough scatological discussions. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we can uh, get on to a, a, a topic that I mean, I've been meaning to ask actually for a while. What is the hardest you guys have hurt yourselves? Hurt yourselves as kids? Do you remember? Oh boy! Is there any event that stands out? Um, there are a couple. When I was uh, playing like backyard baseball, the actual like IRL, not the video game. The the video game also mm. slapped. Um, with my dad and one of my brothers. I had leaned over to pick something up and I stood back up and immediately got hit in the back of the head with an aluminum baseball bat from my brother who was Oof. swinging to hit a ball or something. And that, so that was really bad. Um, and then I, I guess I wasn't, eh, I guess you consider college people kids. In college, I had a a flying disc sports elective, so like frisbee class, mm-hmm. um, which was actually quite fun. So we're playing ultimate frisbee. And I was running to to catch one, and there was this other like real dopey big guy, um, just not like fat or anything, just big, huge, probably six mm. three or so, and I don't know, 
260, something like that. Massive guy. And mm-hmm. uh, we collided uh, our heads Oof. somehow because I must, I must have jumped mm-hmm. for it and he just was running straight ahead. And I, I must have blacked out for a second because I woke up with the, with the coach standing over me and the other mm-hmm. homie was like passed out next to me. Um, so mm. <laughs> he, he was out of the game for the, rest of the, for the rest of the game, but I, like a big strong boy, got up and continued mm. to play because I wasn't going to be put to shame by a large man. <laughs> hey, very nice. How about you? Short, you short anything, King experiences. Anything? Yeah. Uh, I mean, mm. I've, I've been hit by plenty of bats, but I've never played baseball, you know. Uh, <laughs> as, as they say, mm. you know, Eastern Europe is the, the, the second, um, has the second highest rate of sales of metal baseball bats, but, the, but absolutely nobody ever even uh, saw the game with their own eyes. Uh, no, but to mm. me, it was like I've never broken anything except uh, my nose and my fingers. And that was always involved with, uh, you know, one or other types of martial arts, be it in the in the actual training uh, zone or be it, uh, you know, uh, surviving the outskirts of uh, of uh, a small town uh, 90s and early 2000s childhood in, in, in the Balkans. Uh, but... The only time that like it was a proper proper like hurt yourself, not be hurt by someone else experience was uh, I like to call it the Matrix experience. I was uh, we were riding our bicycles down this fucking road that obviously is not designed for anything to go through. Uh, and uh, at one point we were riding really close um, behind each other. And then all of a sudden I see the guy in front of me go around something. I don't have time to go around that something. My whole front uh, uh, tire, it's not a tire, wheel, goes into this fucking hole. And as it goes into the hole, it literally pushes me out. And I start, you know, doing that uh, Neo or Max Payne, like frontal (laughs) dive through the air. Mm -hmm. But imagine this is a very steep downwards. So I'm literally flying through the air. And somehow, I don't know how physics works, because the, Mm -hmm. the... bicycle got hit even harder and I'm not flying without the bicycle the bicycle is flying over me but much faster than me and it lands and it was one of those bicycles that has like those horns on the on the steering wheel right uh and as I'm falling I'm now falling directly on my bicycle and I fall I don't know a fucking inch or like two centimeters right neck or when it comes to the horns right next to where my balls are dude like i missed by two centimeters max like my skin my skin Mm -hmm. my meat went inwards like it like it like a skin ripped and it went Ah. inwards so if that went on the on the peepee if that went on the peepee Oh, oh my, my lord! God. I would I would be a proud eunuch sitting in front of you right now. It was <laughs> very lucky. Oh my god! Jeez! Oh lord! Well, glad I'm, you're I'm okay. Very... <laughs> well, like you know, this is what always impresses me about fucking about kids. I was gonna say about fucking kids. People will misinterpret. <laughs> <laughs> no, about about kids just in general. They'll do this stupid shit, and then they'll walk home. Did you do this? Did you did you go home and then hide your injuries from your mom that day because you didn't? <laughs> Of course I did. Of course I did. To this day, like I'm, uh, my uh, like two of my fingers don't even close fully. Obviously, because mm. I was a stupid kid doing stupid things. Uh, mm. Either one was broken on a wall, another one on another guy's nose, and uh, both of them, my mother thinks like I accidentally somebody closed the door on it, and I, like mm. I couldn't even think up a second lie uh, to to like mm. uh, think up for the other finger. I just used the same one for both. Yeah, oh kids, don't, if you're listening, please actually stop listening if you're under 16. Mm-hmm. But uh, you tell you tell your parents what the fuck happened. I'll share with you mine, which is far less interesting than both of yours. Uh, but it's, I think, possibly more stupid. Uh, basically, there used to be this very, very big hill uh, next to where I used to live. Very steep. Uh, with a road that goes up it and then a road that goes down. And at the end of the road was just like rocks and stone and like a few like trees and shit. Um, this is around the school area, basically. Uh, and I had a very jank, very uh, cheap scooter uh, that I had as like as a young kid. And I was like, you know, what would be really cool to go up all the way, uh, to go all the way up that hill, and then to get on the scooter and then just go really, all, like, really quickly all yeah. the way down. And I, oh, for some God. reason, in my mind, I put in my head that I want to do a trick when I go down <laughs> yeah. as well. So it's not it's not okay it's not enough that it's super st- steep and I'm gonna be going at like fifty uh, miles an hour on this fucking thing. Uh, I want to do like a little spin, um, 
And the specific trick I wanted to do was, you've seen it in cartoons and shit, where somebody's on a bike or a scooter or something, mm-hmm. and then they grind to a halt by just swinging themselves to one side. Oh, yeah, classic. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. yeah. the Akira exactly. thing. That's what yeah. I wanted to do. Yeah, exactly. That's what I wanted to do. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so man. I get up there, and then I kick off, and I immediately start going way faster. <laughs> oh, I, was no. I was like, oh, no, I'm in danger. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember I saw this, this poor old lady who was looking at me, and as she was about to open her mouth to tell me, like, you stupid kid, what the fuck are you doing? Uh, I reached the bottom of uh, of this uh, hill, and I'm like, oh, it's my time to do the, the no. stupid trick. <laughs> so I swipe, and instead of grinding to halt, I, I learned what momentum was at that moment. <laughs> and then I just fucking flew. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the D program. Uh, today, we're doing liberalism part three. Uh, we're gonna discuss. We're gonna discuss some very, very interesting things, or boring, depending on your persuasion. But much more importantly, I would like to thank our patrons who make this possible. Uh, we love every single one of you, especially the Habibi tier people who we do like this monthly chatting thing with. If you want to join that, then check out the tiers on Patreon. Uh, likewise, all of us have recently gone on the merch, and they slap, boy. <laughs> so go take a look if you if you want to see them or not. The the what's it called hoodies are un unironically pretty comfy. Mm, I really yeah, like them. I'm wearing one. It's uh, very comfy. So have your child or a pe- potential pet uh, play with the tassels of, of your deprogram uh, hoodie and send us photos of it. <laughs> Add us on, on Twitter. <laughs> but right. So uh, today we're going to discuss, like I mentioned, liberalism as part of our liberalism series. Uh, the general breakdown, of course, was the first part. We discussed the foundations of liberalism. The um, like second intermediate part was uh, historical liberalism and the hypocrisy of liberal thinkers, uh, which was kind of just a, a fun episode. And today we're going to discuss the liberal state. So separation of powers, parliamentarism, private property, capitalism, uh, the cultural ideology of liberalism, etc., etc. We'll try to cover at least a bit of this. And then we'll, inshallah, have a final part down the line, which will be liberalism and revolution, the socialist attitude towards uh, liberalism and the liberal nation-state, uh, and what comes afterwards. Um, the recommendation, as always, is Lucerto's excellent book, um, Liberalism and Counter-History, as well as just read Lenin. Uh, not for any particular purpose relevant to this, just read Lenin. <laughs> He's just a cutie. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Uh, imagine him giving you a big old smooch uh, oh. as you read State and the Revolution. Um, if that doesn't uh, motivate you, I don't know what will. I'll, I'll do a quick recap uh, of the general liberalism uh, prescription, uh, if I can even <laughs> use that word in English. Uh, and then afterwards, uh, we'll get into the meat of the episode. But in general, the material conditions of local European urban center class struggle uh, throughout like the 1600s and 17, 1700s really uh, gave rise to what would become the philosophical presuppositions of liberalism, which was basically the interests of this new developing class, the bourgeoisie within these cities. Um, liberalism in a nutshell is a ideology that stands for quote-unquote pro-individual liberty and now you can ask like liberty for whom in what form etc um, they are quote-unquote anti-concentration of power or pro-plurality specifically for you know like capitalist interests not for your interests um, constitutionalism in which they enshrine basically capitalism to law uh, so it's not the sort of constitutionalism that would guarantee you like maternal leave uh, pro-minority rights but not the minorities you're thinking of <laughs> um, they mean specifically landowning and, and uh, capital owning people uh, the sanctification of private property specifically for at the beginning white male landowning uh, people but otherwise uh, that was slowly expanded but still heavily restrictive uh, and of course capitalism as the, the, the core, the, the jewel of it uh, in its entirety but let's discuss the liberal state in its history and its theory the uh, fundamental political process of liberal of liberalism as it was started was to enshrine, protect, and solidify capitalism at every single level. Now, this means to enshrine it on the state level, so it's incorporated into basically the functioning of every um, state institution. It's incorporated into the civil uh, code and into the uh, very constitution of uh, said country or said republic. Uh, it's in, ingrained in the specific protections for property rights. There is a guarantee uh, of um, basically like uh, above-board action, quote-unquote, through legal contracts for commodity relations, of course, under threat of force, even force between two capitalist parties. And what that means is basically you and another person get into a contract, and then the state directly reinforces the uh, content of that contract through um, essentially violence. Um, and that's supposed to kind of solidify um, the, 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 the nature of, of uh, capitalism. To use a inverse example, the violent armed state never 
plays a role in defending workers' rights, for example. It's usually the inverse. The violent arm of the state is used to break worker strikes, to prevent workers from strike action, or to force them into work. Uh, but it's never used to, for example, punish people who directly violate labor laws, for example. At most, they get a fucking slap on the, the wrist and whatnot. Aside from... <laughs> you can mute that bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's very based. Uh, the thing that was bleeped, very based. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. Um, of course, the other things is property rights being trained, as mentioned. There's a standardization of certain cultural and linguistic forms. This is used to ease um, the transition towards capitalist forms. Uh, we'll get into all of this. And of course, uh, the forceful or coercive shift from town to country through various mechanisms we're going to discuss. There's going to be also this this nonsense that you read. It's like, oh, there's positive liberals and negative liberalism, mm -hmm. and of course neoliberalism. Uh, this is you don't really neoliberalism will be its own episode. Positive and negative liberalism is basically to what um, uh, limit does the state involve itself in private affairs? I guess you can kind of put it that way. Um, it gets deeper than that, but not much deeper. Boys, what do you have to comment about how liberalism specifically is introduced to maintain capitalist processes um, before anything else, really? Is there anything, anything you want to comment? The, on, the only thing I would add to your excellent exposition is, to me, liberalism is brilliant in its ability to, to maintain the capitalist status quo without the necessity of engaging in constant 24-hour uh, state uh, violence. Yes, it absolutely uses state violence, but only at a point, usually at a point when uh, it sees no exit out of the situation. And it does not, um, it does not, not use state violence because it believes that it is a moral high ground or that it is uh, uh, ethically superior, etc., etc. No, because it is very often, uh, fortunately, not necessarily uh, uh, optimized for success. It is not productive. Uh, to explain with a simple example, why would you, you know, use the stick absolutely every day, do mass arrests, uh, do mass killings, do retributive killing, blah, 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 when you can simply introduce for example, the everyday individual to something as easy as, for example, a bank loan. So everybody mm. needs a place where they want to live. Everybody needs uh, a means of transportation, whatever it be, but they do not have enough money to, uh, to pay that off. In liberalism, you're introduced to a loan. That loan you take out for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and then you will be forced into working absolutely every single day because otherwise, not only will you starve, but everything that liberalism is given you, you will also lose. If you protest the status quo, you are also introduced to the idea that only by protesting it, you can potentially lose it because, again, you may potentially lose your job. The, 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 the distinction between, you know, uh, liberalism and its forms that we talked about in uh, in the past in the previous uh, two episodes and, and modern liberalism is that it understood kind of to an extent organically, but also the, the liberal elites themselves as well and in liberal theory generally that it is much more efficient to placate the masses through uh through economic bondage than through a lit through literal bondage and etc uh, etc et again not that they're not using those specific methods but they have just found a much more efficient uh, uh, efficient one and the saddest thing about it all is that unironically a lot of people kind of uh enjoy this new type of stick because they don't see it as a stick but uh, yep. it really is one because they can pay for a pizza in six uh, installments <laughs> <laughs> uh, exactly right um my god don't you love the 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 efficiency not the efficiency the innovations of the market particularly the american market which always impresses me in these things um can i pay can i can i pay 12 installments for the cheeto uh, kfc collaboration you absolutely can brother sign up for oh zilch or afterpay and you can do it in as many installments as you want oh and it's god, very sad because very often they talk to, to like you know some immigrants from like a very developing country in a quote-unquote mm. developed western uh liberal state uh uh, and they talk to them and they use them kind of as um, as PR tools to say, you see, our form of liberalism that we have here is much better because, look, this guy came from all the way over there where they actually still beat the shit out of you, you know, mm. uh, where mm. they uh, arrest you for quote-unquote opinions, even though you get arrested mm. here for the same reason, et cetera, et cetera. So, so this twist that uh, uh, it's not as... Uh, 
good as we can have it, but it's much uh, much better than uh, uh, what other people have it. Is 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 just uh, a play on some sort of modesty that people uh, people drink up like uh, like iced tea, uh, and it works. But it it really really works to placate both class consciousness and to make you feel kind of like a dick for not appreciating uh, what you have, and that is only achievable when you you know don't beat the shit out of someone on the on the regular even though as we all know uh, the beating the shit out of is exported somewhere else because somebody needs mm. to pay the bill at the end of the day no exactly right very beautifully said um to, yes the meme yes it was beautifully said fuck everybody <laughs> listening <laughs> it was it was genuinely but um moving on from 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 a meme the when it comes to liberalism as well uh, and the, the liberal state, which I'm going to get into the history of in just a second. Um, the, the, the core point that they always like to push is the fact that there is this um, separation of, of powers. Within, there's a, like, you know, the judiciary, executive, legislative, etc., uh, and military. These are separate institutions, quote-unquote. Um, and the reason that this exists, or the reason that this is such a big um, point that they like to paint, is mostly theatrical. Uh, because it, it's it was originally made to set itself aside from feudal political forms in which basically all of them were centralized into a single figure, usually the king, through his divine right to rule and all that other nonsense, mm. right? But the difference being here is that the separation of powers under capitalism, particularly liberalism, uh, is more or less null because the rule of capital is enshrined within every facet of all the separate powers. Um, the fact that the military has a mil uh, ideological education, for example, or a very specific kind of ideological education, um, the fact that the judiciary is firmly planted within a civil code that completely enshrines private property and capitalism, the fact that executive powers are basically uh, allowed to people who are only picked, f for the most part, through massive influence um, of the uh, ruling class within said country, etc., etc., and the fact that we, you know, we we are happy with only splitting the three and making sure they do not interact, but nobody mm. talks about the interaction of large capital and those three. Mm. You know, separate the state and the church, separate the legislative body from the executive. Body. But but capital can interact with absolutely every single one of these so-called independent bodies of governance. It's like, why did you stop at three? I mean, yeah. we know the answer. Why did you stop at three? But why did you stop at three? No, it's exactly right. It's it's a lot of theater. Because when you look at it on the on the face of it, you see that there's like for example, the United States is a perfect example of this. There's a revolving door of um, like uh, corporate policymakers or corporate you know like board members etc. serving on like local political boards uh, or even higher like up in Congress and whatnot, and then finishing a term and then going back to corporate and back and forth and back and forth. Um, and there's absolutely no barriers to the penetration of capital and its influence. Uh, over these um, political positions. In fact, it's the inverse. It's encouraged actively because these people are the ones who have the means to be able to penetrate the political system from top to bottom this way. Um, if, you, if you're so a they, minister, for example, and you cannot go to a judge and tell the judge this is how you should rule in this particular case, right? But if you're a corporate uh, boss... You can go to a minister and tell him this is this and this is how you're gonna uh, enshrine policy. What's the difference between a minister talking to a judge or a, or a, or a judge talking to a minister versus uh, a, a a corporate lobbyist doing the same? There's yeah. no difference. Just you know, theatrically accept that the other one is possible and the other one is actually encouraged. Yeah, case in point. I mean, this this happens all the time. But one of the more egregious ones recently. Um, was Rex Tillerson. He was the CEO of Exxon, and he ended up on... Um, uh, he was the, the Secretary of State under Donald Trump. Mm. It's this, the revolving door goes all the way to the top. Like It's not just like mm. pages and stuff and assistants that, that can mm, get in no. that can kind of bend the ear of people in power. It's people who have the highest... Mm. Uh, highest offices in in the land. Same with the uh, the EPA was some uh, like oil lobbyist recently. It's it's ridiculous. Exactly right. Um, so the the point of us uh, the the point that we're trying to make here is that don't fall for the liberal facade. Look behind the screen, and then you're gonna see that a lot of the similar processes that were you know like superseded were only superseded for the interests of capital. Otherwise, it's still more or less the same um, setup. Uh, like you replace aristocrats for like CEOs, sure, whatever, uh, or you know, land uh, like property people, people with capital um, for the ruling class. But otherwise, 
um, this so-called separation, which is supposed to guarantee your legal right to, you know, political power as a citizen, equal citizen before the law, all this is nonsense, it's theater. Um, but let's get into the history a little bit. Uh, calling a particular political movement liberal specifically began in Spain in 1812, uh, when uh, there was basically movement for uh, towards what could have been termed a constitutional revolution. There are advocates of constitu constitutional government in Spain. Uh, that was the first instance of it. Uh, and in their instance, you can see a commonality throughout most of the liberal projects uh, within the continent on Europe. Um, this hallmark of all these liberal states was specifically creating a written constitution that uh, established some form of representative government, uh, but not in the way that we currently understand it, like, you know, universal suffrage for everybody, blah, blah, but specifically in a highly restrictive form of suffrage, which was determined by your ability to read, so literacy, wealth, amongst other, um, some, sometimes even ethnicity, amongst other criteria. But essentially, this restricted the legal vote in these so-called democracies to um, around 1% to 10% of the population, at most, by the way. The vast majority of the time, it was around 1% to 5% uh, of the population that could vote. In the United States, this took the form particularly of white uh, land-owning political elite on the eastern coast. Uh, in Europe, many of the times it was kind of mixed in with other aristocratic elements, but still it was part of the dominant ethnic group while being propertied, being literate, uh, and having certain you know convenient political connections. The political process that was started by successful liberal revolutions when they took state power was to try to push through centralization on one hand and homogenization on the other. The centralization kind of expanded through all facets, politically, economically, socially, etc. To give an example, uh, interconnected industrial communities was basically a policy, uh, increase their work basically between each other, develop road connections, etc., etc., so that you can have more streamlined production, more regular, uh, for example, raw material, raw material deliveries, etc. Things that are required for standard production under capitalism that were not as required under, feud under feudalism or previous of, of uh, previous socioeconomic forms. Another example would be reducing local power of regional authorities or feudal elements in favor of central government so that dictates can be sent down to manage basically uh, the entire land area of uh, whatever political entity you're, uh, you're in. The homogenization point, of course, uh, is more for political motives. Uh, they wanted um, forced either cultural or, ling or linguistic assimilation. A perfect example of this is, is in France, where a good percentage of the French population didn't speak French. In fact, they spoke other related Romance languages. And these people were forcibly incorporated politically into the French nation-state, liberal French nation-state, and also afterwards were barred from speaking their own language, even through violence, uh, and specifically were taught only uh, to speak uh, French. They couldn't work unless they spoke only in French. They couldn't go to school unless they spoke only French, and going to school was uh, legally dictated as a, like mandatory for kids, otherwise you'd end up going to prison. So basically you had no possible um, choice but to send your kids in and to basically pick up this other related language that isn't your mother tongue regardless. And the purpose of this, of course, was to homogenize the population, to create a idea of a national state uh, or a nation state to further help with the image of, of uh, or the, the process of capitalist transition. So people would less uh, identify with their uh, religious background or some other like minor ethnic polity, but instead would identify with the capitalist nation state and towards the effort of developing itself as a capitalist nation state. This is super important because a lot of people do not associate uh, liberalism with bourgeois nationalism, but it is absolutely interlinked because you cannot have a society built on so quote, uh, quote unquote uh, open values, but one which never absolutely ever talks about uh, class identity. You need to fill the room with as many identities as you possibly can, which dissuade you from class identity. So therefore, you know, it's not just the neocons that uh, like waving flags and singing hymns as they eat their burgers, uh, liberals mm -hmm. kind of invented the, the concept from the get-go. Sorry for the interlude, but it's important. No, it's very, very necessary. Thank you for that. Uh, to further build uh, on this uh, foundation we have right here, through like this, of course, centralization, homogenization, I, was, I mentioned, historically, when you look at it, there was constitutional adoption throughout the 1800s, uh, mostly in France and Spain, and then later on spread throughout the continent, as mentioned before. A little like addendum or tidbit that I'd like to share is that a lot of liberal history, uh, historiography, fuck me, that word's hard to say, <laughs> basically uh, 
Oh, actually, no, I'll quote them. They say uh, they find that a composite elite of nobles and commercial and professional bourgeois who were similar intellectually and culturally were the ones or was the class that had power through throughout the liberal transition up until almost like World War One in some countries. Um, and somehow this is supposed to cast doubt on the Marxist interpretation, which is, you know, like the, the burghers who become the local bourgeoisie who then basically um, wanted these for their, to suit their own class interests, wanted these changes, and then these changes uh, took on the flesh of the uh, liberal uh, philosophical outlook, right? Of course, everything has underlying material conditions, unsurprisingly. And uh, they tried to cast doubt on this by saying, well, it wasn't the typical capitalist that we see nowadays, uh, back then, so technically, oh, you know, it's a bit more muddy. But this point is so stupid because they're not realizing. Um, Marx has this point that he mentions about you know the transition to socialism, uh, but it's likewise with every previous socio-economic form that whatever system is transitioning into another system will nonetheless be stamped with the birthmarks of the previous. Unsurprisingly, so that's why, when, for example, when social when we go from capitalism to socialism, there will be some vestiges of capitalism still left within socialism that would need to be eventually weeded out. You have bourgeois right, you have a bunch of other stuff, certain basic like property rights assumptions or, or, or ideas, particularly within, like, for example, peasantry in certain countries, etc., etc. I don't want to get too deep into it, but under capitalism, the same thing. When capital when you're transitioning from feudalism to capitalism, you will nonetheless be stamped with the birthmarks of the previous system. So as a result, this becomes completely unsurprising that. That there were urban dwelling aristocrats who had vested interests in the burgeoning industry of their local cities, uh, playing a significant role in the transition towards capitalism. These are the people who had capital to move around in the first place uh, when entering this new system. So it's not surprising that they would play a role as well. Do you understand my point of the stupidity of, of trying to discount the Marxist analysis, but in a roundabout way actually reinforcing it? Mm. Um, it's, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I, if I conveyed that in the clearest possible you way did. that... Uh, I could, but thank you, Habibi. Uh, moving on, though, about this. Along with the centralization point, uh, one of the ways of achieving liberal aims was to equalize regional size, for example, in the uh, different counties and municipalities across the country. This division of, of national territory basically was a prerequisite for a centralized hierarchical administrative structure within the state. Um, this was necessary so that policies uh, that would be set up uh, can be transmitted from the central state to all the provinces, towns, villages, etc. Of course, this was to different extents throughout the country. In Spain, this happened to one extent. In the Netherlands, Belgium, there's some more autonomy in certain state, in certain cities and, and, and municipalities. Uh, the discussion gets deeper, but I can't not mention the fact that the redivision of national territory was an incredibly important aspect of um, the liberal political project. But aside from the, this uh, redivision, there was also an equalization, trying to make it more or less reasonably sized in population and, and uh, area, so that no one area could have o overdue um, uh, influence over national politics like it was in feudal areas. Basically, the, the, the fiefdom that had the most you know, like income and whatnot could raise the strongest army, and as a result, would be the greatest source of support for the local regent or king, and as a result, they would have more influence over the rest of the country. They want to get rid of that. So this was an attempt to do that. Aside from this also, there was an abolition of certain special privileges for local regions. Uh, in the Spanish example, for example, the Basque area had certain military privileges, and that was that there was an exemption made for them in feudal times, and that was uh, gotten rid of. And these privileges were gotten rid of again for the same purpose, uh, so that one area will not overdominate in uh, the this national structure. Furthermore, of course, there was removal of certain legal privileges, um, like for example, the clergy and nobility. Uh, certain uh, constraints, uh, privilege constraints, were removed. For example, on the use and sale of land, um, there was a, a drive to expropriate religious land. There was a, a drive to um, enclose the commons, which is basically uh, common land used by everyday peasants to be able to graze or to grow stuff or whatever you want. Um, this was uh, closed off and then basically bought and sold. Uh, and as a result, this deprived a vast majority of this uh, um, rural population from lands that they required to live uh, for their regular, you know, grazing needs and other needs. Uh, and as a result, this destroyed their livelihoods in the rural, in the countryside. So they were forced to basically go into the towns to look for jobs in the new developing factories and forms of industrial production. And it's especially interesting because, like, you can see their logic at the starting age of trying to uh, remove all previous feudal power structures which would allow you to become an overlord uh, in one or another way. Mm. The, the prime example that you mentioned being uh, the limitation of uh, 
just how much land can be privately owned uh, so that it does not go to the extent in which uh, quite literally ownership of land equalized with political power leads to basically a new burgeoning uh, redefined aristocracy etc etc but they stopped there obviously you know that they only tried to fix issues that uh, that were directly linked to uh, this type of land ownership and feudalism but uh, as we all know as liberalism later developed we have uh, we much uh, more expansive tools for wealth generation than just, you know, owning large swaths of land was also developed. But because then that was in the interest of the the liberal elites of the the uh, the the new aristocracy of the of the post feudalist system, uh, the conversation about that obviously needed to cease. Which again leads us to that uh, repetitive but always very important thing to note is that you know all of history is is class conflict, and as very rightfully and let's say in a decent way, neoliberal not sorry not neoliberal liberal revolutions that move from feudalism into into uh, what we've seen develop in the 19th and 18th centuries got rid of obviously incredibly problematic aspects of feudal of feudal society uh, mm. um, civilizational growth must never stop and consider a particular system the the peak of uh, of how we get to uh, organize our uh, our societies uh, and but but with liberalism specifically as we see it uh, uh, it refuses to go along with uh, you know uh, the years and it refuses mm. it it very hypocritically accepts that it needed to put some boundaries in order for the feudalists not to return but then it stopped talking about putting new boundaries once its own uh, class power uh, grew i hope uh, that makes sense mm -hmm. and just one tiny thing i wanted to add was just to to give a concrete example of what um, enclosure or, or privatization of land looks like. Can you boys guess how much, like what percentage of land in Texas is public land? 20%. So 40? All right. Good guesses. Uh, it's 4%. There, the, Oof, the, suck oh, my dick. Of the man. massive amount you of land. You the lords would be jealous. <laughs> yeah. 4% mm. of it. If you see a piece of land, say you're trying to get somewhere and you see a, a an empty field, it is not likely safe for you to cross it because somebody owns that and they will either call the cops or shoot you the the mm. this makes it incredibly difficult for people just to to congregate places and convene and do things that are not um what capitalists would consider economically productive um just to exist mm. and so instead we have these we've got roads that are public so you move from the, either the place you're renting or your home that you own to these isolated bubbles of capital, whether you go to the store mm. or to, you know, to get lunch or something. And there are no stops along the way that are public, that are a, a respite from this, this culture of private ownership and ceaseless consumption. Like if you try to, yeah. that's why we have loitering laws. You're not allowed to just stand around in a parking lot it's or wild. outside of a store or anything. You can't have a drink outside of a, outside of a bar or anywhere in public, usually in the United States. So that's just, it goes to, it shows just how intense this, um, this practice mm. has gotten. And it's something to keep in mind. Um, that's the market for you, baby. Mm. <laughs> really astute observation because when you really think about it, like there is nowhere you get to go and hang out with people, especially in the States, without going to a place where you need to spend money. Right. Mm. Literally, it just yeah. doesn't exist. Yeah, it's set up Except at your own home, right? Yep. But then there's there's three cars on the on the road in front of your house and some Karen loses her shit yep. because <laughs> yep. it's a gang meet-out or something. Yep. If you're not taking part in the circuit of capital, then are you really... Do you even exist? Yeah. It's not, How is loiter, loitering, like, loitering, bro? Yeah. Yeah. Loitering. You don't get to, like, exist That's in a space around. like there's a law. Oh, sorry. Fuck it up. Like, my back hurts. I don't know the fuck. Like, what if you just want to take a seat somewhere? God damn. <laughs> yeah. You may sit on um, the anti-homeless architecture. <laughs> Please go ahead. Sit right, on these spikes. Mm, I see. I see. And people pretend that oh, fuck, it's such a, so much cognitive dissonance. Yeah. Like if if historic socialism had done like five percent 
mm. of what modern capitalism did. The, the like the condemnations would have been unending. They oh, already yeah. are, despite the fact, right? But oh, this not like the the future is going to look so harshly on this period. Mm. But, all right, it is. Anyways, um, if capitalism doesn't fucking kill it. <laughs> Anyways, moving on. Um, one of the points I want to make in in this uh in my tirade uh was uh, the fact that penal and civil legal codes are established along with all the other processes of uh like homogenization um of course there's two legal codes for you and the people who own property mm. and who have you know but that's that's you know unofficial officially there's uh, there are um set in stone penal and civil uh legal codes uh that uh replace basically former feudal laws or anything else what the fuck um, yeah, that was some shit. That was a, a delivery uh, van of some sort with a very uh, particular noise, so that's why I was bleeped. My bad. Anyways, yeah, so my point was uh, penal and civil legal codes replacing formal feudal uh, legal codes uh, and religious ones as well uh, in many areas um, to standardize approaches, particularly to ownership of uh, capital, uh, transitioning uh, ownership of capital, etc. A point to mention specifically with um, the administration of national territory under uh, under uh, liberal um, you know nation building uh, was that these uh, new territories or these newly divided areas uh, would have um, specific local governing officials different to former feudal ones who are specifically tasked with cent- carrying out central division uh, central decisions uh, which included maintaining statistics on the area setting up local institutions like schools and you know basically making sure that kids are going to these schools um, having responsibility for c- certain economic development and of course carrying out the the um, requirements of capital in the area um, so for example natural resource exploration if it's on the land of somebody you know family house that's been in their family for 500 years or whatever um yeah the the local government governing official is the guy who's supposed to basically kick him out and dig under the house and get get do what's required to be done furthermore a lot of these uh civil codes and constitutions when they were written up and this is really the crux of this entire episode private ownership is king it was the main purpose of the um liberal everything the liberal revolutions um the philosophical outlooks of liberalism all the you know dressing and all the you know bullshit that you see uh, repeated to you every day um the fundamental basis of it the thing that it all goes back to is private ownership and the supreme right of private ownership above everything else um, specifically extending to all spheres of life, land, property, factories, resources, means of information, including news and means of advertisement, etc. This way, when you privately own something uh, as a class, as a collective class, I mean, the bourgeoisie, the ruling class, um, these groups could uh, th- that held capital not only mobilized this private property for productive ends, but they also used it for political ends through controlling media and publication uh, so that they can maintain, um, for example, they can secure votes uh, from this select small percentage of the population that can vote for parliamentary positions so that they can reimpose their um, class interests through a quote-unquote democratic lens. Um, so essentially... To, to, to wrap it up in, in one little bow, the entire process from the separation of powers to parliamentarism to pro-minority rights, specifically for private property owners, uh, for constitutions, all of this was set up specifically to uh, have the threat of capitalism extend through every facet of life and to give it a uh, air of legitimacy uh, and uh, a structure in a legal framework so that should it be challenged legally then there is already within the framework a way of dealing with such challenges unlike for example feudal in, in former feudal forms where you had to you know like specifically you know revolt against the king and raise an army and this and that but now you have to you know like break a contract and go to prison <laughs> instead two points i would like to say to, to, to add i think uh, before um, wrapping up at least my pres- presentation about this uh, number one, liberal constitutions provided and promised across the... They didn't provide the promise across the board, freedom of expression and freedom of the press. Uh, but they were almost always immediately limited uh, through legislation, not even just through, like, you know, word. They act, actively put in laws to restrict uh, freedom of expression and press. Censorship was rampant throughout all of the 19th century. There are many, la- uh, many laws passed. There, was entire, there were entire agencies established for this. There were officials specifically uh, appointed for these purposes, and they kind of even extended into the 21st century they're just named differently back then it was mostly theater and caricature which was more rigidly controlled but printed material as well and in specifically printed material that was directed at lower classes were more censored than those who are like up the quote-unquote social lab social ladder 
um, who had slightly more open access, um, which is unsurprising. Uh, even to this day, you see this when you read, like, for, for example, Bloomberg or, you know, all these other ones compared to, like, I don't know, um, the Washington Post. There's a very clear difference in the ideology of it. Um, you will see, like, supporting American interests in Syria uh in one thing uh, but in the other it will be more explicit mm. um as to what those american interests exactly are what i was going to say as well is uh the thing that had the most uh, censorship or the most control uh was the wor- organized working class press um that was usually the 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 target of uh, and it continues to be to this day um and that's why for example you don't see any communists or marxists or even uh lukewarm fucking socialists on american tv or news media of any kind um the best you'll see is a radical liberal a somebody who would be considered like center right in the rest of the world mm-hmm. uh, but in the u.s because of how far the, the overton win- window shifted um that is what's considered you know allowed um and this is all intentional and the second point which is an addendum this is the final thing that i'll really uh, i'll i'll finish on uh, the history of liberalism is replete. It's completely stuffed with failure, revolt, and civil wars for over a century before a meaningful foothold and a um, stable uh, nation-state, liberal uh, nation-state was established in most of Europe, if not all of Europe. When you parallel this with socialism, you come to realize that uh, the, the argument where people see, like, you know, the Paris Commune lasted for a month and then failed, uh, and, the you know, all these Soviets, the Hungarian Soviets and Slovak and Bavarian Soviets and whatnot, they lasted for a little bit and then failed. Uh, and the Soviet Union was a particularly shining example, lasted for quite a long time, but also at the end basically was illegally dissolved. This is not an indictment of socialism as a system because liberalism has way more failures to its name than socialism ever has. Number one and number two, uh, the revolts and wars and civil wars and uh, amount of like class struggle and tension that occurred under liberalism is to such a point that it actually makes socialist history look kind of tame mm. in, uh, in comparison. But people don't know the history, so that's why they feel that, oh, you know, uh, like the Eastern Bloc countries and some of the socialist countries of Africa and whatnot, they all basically went, went away and now they're back to being capitalist. This is not strange uh these went in stages along with uh, um like feudal development went in stages capitalist development went to stages socialist development will too go in stages and the point is to have uh, optimism and also active like be actively involved in trying to bring forth the socialist future because every step forward we take again we learn from our previous mistakes and we'll allow ourselves to establish a proper uh, and enduring socialism, just like how these liberalisms basically struggle to walk, but eventually establish themselves into the 21st century now, mm. um, despite the fact that it was a political process that started in the 1600s in most uh, in, in several countries. It would be the biggest joke, but uh, if the libs could do it, you could do it. <laughs> <laughs> basically right. Basically right. Exactly right. Uh, and if you can't do it, then you should be ashamed of yourself. I don't know. <laughs> All of us as a general species yeah, absolutely yeah. fucking oh, should. So, yeah. If if, if exactly this right. is our peak, if this mm. is really our peak, what and malls, burgers, <laughs> yeah, malls, burgers, uh, and what else? Like what the jeans? This yeah. this this is this is what we what we believe in. The the, the Kardashians and uh, mm. uh, Lonely Island or what was it called? This uh, is why mm. the birds are always shitting on us. It's because the dinosaur, mm. their ancient ancestors, the dinosaurs ruled the earth and it was so cool mm. and now we've turned it mm. into a giant mall and they hate us for it and they're, exactly. they're picking at our scraps. Exactly. <laughs> the, the, the bottle caps. <laughs> yeah. um, exactly right. That's the, the, the kind of the wrap up of, of my segment. The one thing that I'll mention also which I find very funny is that they refuse to admit it. Like liberal theorists and people who write about liberalism now who subscribe to a liberal, liberal framework, they com- continuously refuse to admit it despite it being so fucking clear that mm. only with the rise of socialism as a political force did, you know, like health insurance and accident insurance and pension systems and unpo- unemployment benefits, all of this became part of the liberal program, basically as a reaction to the popularity of socialist political principles. And to this day, they'll try to make it, try to forcefully incorporate it as is, as if it's a thing that came with Originally, liberalism yes. mm-hmm. yeah and it's so pathetic because it's so fucking clear all the european countries they started what eight, like 1870 to like 1920 is when all these systems were were being put in can you tell me what was published in like 1848 that could have <laughs> you know, like what what, what, uh-huh. what political mm. movement was going on and during the fucking uh, uh. <laughs>
I don't know what to tell you yep. guys. But they, even when they agree on this, they, they still manage to hijack it. That's why I'm like, you know, uh, my, my relationship with liberalism is, you know, uh, uh, hate but uh, respect your enemy. So th- they have an answer to absolutely everything. So, for example, when whenever they agree on, okay, sure, it's because of uh, socialist thought that we ended up getting pensions, getting social security, mm. giving women rights, stuff like this. Mm. Uh, mm. They will say that is why it is great to always balance out yeah. between the right and the left and find a healthy, you know, middle mm. ground, etc., etc. I mean, they borderline. We probably are going to talk about this in future episodes, but the borderline introduced uh, the most placating, uh, quote unquote, ideology they ever could mm. to the average socialist, mm. which is social democracy, right? Yeah. That they uh, liberalism has an innate manner in which to convert absolutely every uh, virtue or every principle or every ideal that uh, people from all over the political spectrum have and then integrate it into itself as long as it does not have to address the class question, right? Or as long as it doesn't need to address it as intensively, you know, in periods of uh, of economic growth, which obviously it pulls back afterwards as it as it goes down. But uh, even with all of those answers, contradictions keep piling up, and contradictions are uh, are unavoidable. I mean, uh, with neoliberalism, they happen every seven to twelve years when it comes to an economic crash, but. Uh, people are literally uh, no matter how much bling bling you put on their television screens there's too much stinky stink and uh, pukey Mm. puke of homeless people Mm -hmm. in every Mm. single corner of ours so these no matter what I'm basically trying to say is that liberalism is very impressive at at, uh, giving placating answers to radical thought but it Mm. it, it is only bandages being put on bandages put on bandages put on bandages put on bandages and ironically in our age as we're growing older and especially for our kids these bandages are going to uh in the worst possible scenario for us socialists i'm so i'm talking in the, in the next three four decades these bandages are going to be very difficult to replace so uh as we all know it's either gonna go uh, downhill into barbarity or we're actually gonna do something about this fucking shit mm. uh, and as we said previously if the libs could do something about the fucking feudal sociopaths of our past uh maybe it's time we teach the libs the same lesson they taught their forefathers Hmm. beautifully said uh with all that said uh this has been a very nice and neat and concise uh episode we hope you learned a lot thanks to hakim Uh, of course like we said (laughs) thank you killed it with this one (laughs) (laughs) thank you very much i hope the people who listened liked it as well um we'd love to uh thank uh, our patrons who we wouldn't be able to do this without so thank you very much to all you lovely people um please go and check out the patreon and try to support us if you can uh, this is what keeps us running and keeps us uh, able to to make these um these episodes for you guys um if you're interested you can check out the merch uh and uh, yeah this has been the program i'm hakim i'm jt and i'm ugopnik go get shit on by <laughs> fucking seagulls <laughs> <laughs>